Isn't that awesome? Man, God is so good. And I'm so excited about what he is doing. And actually, as many of you know, our interest meeting for Chosen Foster and Adopt Ministry is after this service at 6 p.m. And so even if you didn't know about it, I wanna invite you just to stick around and hear about foster care and adoption. And some of you are like, well, that's maybe a lot of commitment. And I don't know if I can do that, but there are so many ways that you can come beside foster care families and adoptive families and support them. You can be a part of what God is gonna to do at this church. So stick around for that. It's going to be awesome. Starts at six o'clock. And I want to also remind you about December 6 is going to be our Kingdom Builders annual miracle offering. This is an exciting time. It's the most generous week of our church's life throughout the year. Um, we just get to come and give this offering. It's our best offering over and above. And this is what God uses to fund missionaries around the globe, local outreach, and church expansion here at Generation Church. And then also right now in this year, Year, uh, our chosen foster care and adoption ministry in a special way. And I'm praying that we could start an adoption scholarship fund uh, to help the next 25 families in our church to adopt. So pray about how God might lead you to give in this miracle offering. Some of you maybe haven't been around our church very long. Consider making a monthly pledge to Kingdom Builders and be a part of what God is doing. He will bless you and he will bless others through you. Amen. Yeah. Whenever we talk about giving, it always comes down to this. Listen to God and do what he says. Listen to God and do what he says. If we all do that, we will experience a miracle. Let me start out, Deuteronomy 14, verse two. It says this, you have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. I love that, you're special and you're chosen. Do you believe that? I wanna preach a message tonight titled Chosen for More. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak to our hearts as we open our lives up to you. Show us the truth and lead us to become more like Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth and your unfailing love. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen. amen. Well, that verse we read from Deuteronomy 14, it was written by a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. Anybody heard of Moses? Yeah, so I wanna talk about Moses' story a little bit tonight, and it relates to chosen so much. So let's jump into this. Exodus chapter one, verse eight. It says, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. Remember we said that whenever authority gives you any kind of directive that contradicts the word of God, that's when it is okay to disobey them. Right. We're tracking that? 
They allowed the boys to live too. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. So here's Pharaoh, king of Egypt, most powerful man in the world, and he watches as the Hebrew people, the Israelites, multiply in the nation of Egypt. They keep growing and becoming a more powerful force, and it threatens his power and their way of life. So what does he do? He says, we gotta stop this. We gotta stop these Israelites from spreading. We've got to oppress them. And what did they do? They enslaved the Israelites. But the Bible says that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So you gotta ask yourself, why is that? Well, on one hand, there's a spiritual dynamic where you know God supernaturally protected and blessed the Israelites, right? I mean, obviously. But then I think there's another more practical explanation Because think about it, if you were enslaved and forced into manual labor day in and day out, and you had no way to escape your hardships, you couldn't go home and binge watch Netflix, you couldn't live vicariously through the Kardashians, you couldn't numb your pain with substance, right? Well, what's left to comfort your woes? Well, uh, husband and wives can get some comfort from each other. I mean, think about it. You know, we talk about, you know, sex is this gift from God for marriage between a husband and a wife. And it's a good thing. We kind of think of it as like romantic, it's sexy. But sometimes the great thing about sex is a husband and wife can comfort each other in times of hardship. That's, that's part of what God intended. So, hey, next time you're going through a difficult season, <laughs> don't reach for the liquor bottle, right? Reach for your spouse. Some guys like, I like this church. It's a good church. Found a good church. And then they multiply. The people multiply. So we usually fear facing persecution. You know, we're like, oh God, deliver us. But throughout history, God uses persecution to multiply his church. Going back to the first and second century, when Roman emperors would try to stamp out the Christian movement, but the more they tried to stop it, the more it spread. Now, I know I'd rather spread the kingdom of God and build it out through evangelization than persecution if I have a vote. But we gotta be careful that not every time we go through difficulty is it the devil trying to take us down, but it could be part of God's plan and something he has allowed to strengthen us and multiply his kingdom. So Pharaoh said, we can't have this. We can't have these Israelites messing up our country and ruining our lives, so... Let's kill the babies. And that's what we're doing in our nation still today. Not by the order of the king, but with the permission of our government. In the United States of America, every single year, almost one million babies are murdered in the womb. That's two times the number of Americans who died in all of World War II, killed every year. That's like 9-11 happening every single day. That's four times the amount of people who've died of COVID this year, every year. Abortion is the number one leading cause of death in America and in the world. More than heart disease or cancer, it's abortion. Some people debate, well, do those kids matter? Do they count if they're not born yet? And I would say, well, you mattered to God before you were born. Says this in Jeremiah chapter one. God says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. 
Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And then the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. You need to realize that to God, an unborn baby is not just a fetus or a mass of cells. It's a person with a purpose. I would propose that abortionists like the term fetus because it dehumanizes the person who's being killed. They like the term pro-choice because then they can blame this atrocity on someone else's choice. They even like the term abortion because it's a lot more palatable than premeditated murder. As soon as you bring up abortion being a tragedy, there are people who immediately try to shut the conversation down and they'll say, if you talk about it, you'll make women who've had abortions feel bad. And I understand that, and I wanna say this. First, any woman who has had an abortion, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then all of your sins have already been forgiven. Including this one, your sins have been forgiven, your record has been wiped clean. To God, it's like it never happened. So we shouldn't try to hide that this happens, we should celebrate God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, amen? And I have found that often it's Christian women who have had abortions that are the most vocal that we should preach against abortion because they know that it's so damaging, not just to the baby, but also to the mothers. My goal is not to attack any mother, but to save babies going forward. Some will say, well, it's not your place to tell a woman what to do with her body. And I need you to understand, I am not telling a woman what to do with her body. I'm talking about saving the babies growing inside her body, right? We just want those babies to live. Lately, I've heard people, even Christians say, well, you really have no right to go on talking about abortion because there are lots of problems in the world that we live in. The thing is, there are lots of problems in our world, things that we need to fix. But the truth is, if you're killed in the womb, you will never have the, experience, the opportunity to experience a better world. So we wanna see these babies live, right? And that is so important. When we talk about abortion, people will say, well, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm against that. And they'll often throw in these little disclaimers and exceptions, you know, except for rape. You realize that uh, in an average year, about 13,000 of the abortions that happen are because of rape. About 1%, maybe 1.5%. Christians will say, I'm against abortion some, but, but maybe except for rape. Well, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that for a second. Should we be against abortion except for rape? Let me show you a picture of Rebecca Kiesling. Rebecca was conceived by rape. Her and thousands of people like her were. She's holding the sign that says conceived by rape. She's got her daughters with her here. It says my mom was conceived by rape. Now, do you think her daughters would have preferred that her mother be aborted? No, here's what Rebecca said. When you make the rape exception, it's like you're saying to me that I deserve the death penalty for the crimes of my father. The Supreme Court has said there is no death penalty for rapists, but would you say that I, as the innocent child of a rape, deserve the death penalty? Some people say, well, I'm against abortion except to save the life of the mother. And I can understand why they might say that, but you need to understand, that's not really a thing. Listen to this. Even abortionists testify that if there is a medical emergency, the course of action is to deliver the baby prematurely because to go through the stages required by a surgical abortion would cause more, not less, danger to the mother. 
1981, former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. C. Everett Koop said, the fact of the matter is that abortion as a necessity to save the life of the mother is so rare as to be non-existent. You actually research the reason why most women choose to have an abortion, and it comes down to this. I'm not ready, I'm not financially prepared, the partner involved in this situation is not one that I wanna live my life with, it interferes with my plans. It really just kind of boils down to what we read about happening in Egypt. Like in Egypt, these babies aren't convenient and they're murdered to protect the status quo. Now our government today doesn't order abortions like Pharaoh did, but we do have many in government who support them and they really favor supporting them and paying for them with your tax dollars. I'm going in on this tonight. Here's what it says. We believe unequivocally that every woman should be able to access high quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We will restore federal funding for planned parenthood. This is from the 2020 Democratic Party platform. You can read it at their website yourself. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading you what's on their website. And I know not every Democrat agrees with this position, but let me talk about Planned Parenthood, since this is part of their official party platform. Planned Parenthood is perhaps one of the most evil organizations that have ever existed in the history of the world. Not everybody knows this, but just last year alone, Planned Parenthood in America performed 345,672 abortions. This organization, Planned Parenthood, was founded by a woman named Margaret Sanger, who was a known white supremacist and spoke, she spoke at KKK rallies. To this very day, the majority of Planned Parenthood facilities are located in inner city minority neighborhoods. Here's what Planned Parenthood's founder said in 1939. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. That's what she said. So this organization was started by a racist white supremacist and to this day is still killing a disproportionate number of black babies and minority babies. And we have government leaders who want to fund this operation with tax dollars. It says in the 1970s, when the Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade decision legalized abortion, polling showed that blacks were significantly less likely to favor abortion than whites. Today in New York City, more black babies are aborted than born alive each year. Fact check it, it's true. The abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. So if you want an example of systemic racism, I would say look no further than a government-funded organization that kills a disproportionate number of black babies and minority babies. I would call that genocide. I'm just trying to say, I think black lives matter as much in the womb as they do on, in the streets, right? You know. All babies are precious to God and matter to God, whether they are born or not yet born. The thing is, as a church, we can't just complain about the problem. We've got to become a part of the solution. We've got to be able to go to expectant mothers who feel overwhelmed or like they can't raise their children and say, hey, you don't have to, to take that route. There are dozens, hundreds of Christian families, even in this church, who will love and cherish your baby. So choose life and we will help you on this journey, right? That's our role. 
I wanna point some stuff out to you. In Exodus chapter one, verse 17, what we read says, but because the midwives, Shipra and Pua, whenever I see their names, I always think Hakuna Matata, but that's not what it is. Uh, because they feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. Watch this, they let the boys live. So God was good to the midwives. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I wanted you to see that, that God is good to those who love and care for orphans, the unborn, and the vulnerable. Think about this. We know their names, Shipra and Pua, but we don't know the name of Pharaoh, the most powerful man living on earth at the time. We don't know his name. Yet we know the name of these two Hebrew slaves. Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed, but God honored these women by recording their names in his word for history. God is good to those who love the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, the unborn. Anytime you take special care of who God cares about, he's going to bless you because you are a blessing to the people he loves. The story goes on in Exodus chapter two, verse one. It says, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby, aren't they all? But this one was especially special. She kept him hidden for three months, but when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt compassion for him. So good. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. I love this part, right? She's like, um, excuse me, I noticed you found a baby there. Uh, should I go and find someone to help nurse that baby for you? Like, I don't know. The princess said, yeah, do that. So the girl went and called the baby's own mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I'll pay you for your help. I love that part. Isn't God good, right? Won't he do it? So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So I wanna point some things out. Moses' birth mom did not place him in that basket in the river because she didn't want him or because she didn't love him. She did this because she loved him. She couldn't keep him because of the circumstances that she was in. And most of the children who get fostered or adopted are in the same boat. Their mom, uh, maybe sometimes dad, do love them. They do want them to be okay, but maybe they're trapped in a bad situation. And so they wanna place those kids in a better situation. This princess of Egypt 
she found that baby and the Bible says she felt compassion for him. That's, that's a feeling in your heart. Other translations say she felt sorry for him or she felt pity for him. You know, she just felt bad. Her heart went out to this little baby boy as he was crying. And so what did she do? She took care of him. And I, I've noticed that, that oftentimes, man, foster families are some of the most compassionate people you will ever meet, right? They just, they just feel so much love. And this princess, I would say that first, she became like a foster parent. She temporarily took responsibility for the well-being of this child in the time of crisis. This reminds me of, of our verse from last week, James 1.27. It says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Just like little baby Moses there crying and your heart goes out. There's so many kids like that today in the world that we live in. And when God's people allow themselves to, to be driven forward into action by the compassion that they feel in their heart, it makes a huge impact in the lives of those who would otherwise be vulnerable and helpless. I love the word chosen. Do you think that this princess found that baby by accident? No, God chose her. God chose her to care for and protect that special baby. And God has chosen some of you to be foster parents, to be adoptive parents, or maybe not that, maybe to support foster families or support adopting families, or maybe to give to kingdom builders and support foster care ministry or adoption ministry at our church. And I believe he's going to use you in a powerful way. Common objections that sometimes people wrestle with when we think about these issues. I, I feel like people process, you know, I don't know if I could be a foster parent. I think I would just love that child too much and it would just hurt too much when, when they leave. And I just wanna push back on that idea gently that that's a pretty selfish way to think about it. Okay, that's not so gentle. Let me just push back and not so gently. That's kind of selfish. Right, because like here are these kids are hurting and they're scared and they're in the moment of probably the biggest crisis of their life and they desperately need someone to step in and love them and care for them and show them the love of Jesus. You as a Christian who is also an adult, has, you have the coping skills to handle those moments of disappointment and hurt. But those kids in crisis, man, they just need someone to love them. And when we really think about these young kids who are in this foster care system, oftentimes they do get reunited with their families. And that, that's a good thing. When it's possible, it's a good thing. What they usually want is to be reunited with their parents. And what you'll find as a foster parent is the, as you grow in love for that child, you're gonna want what they want. So you're gonna celebrate the win of them being reunited. Uh, fostering and adopting is difficult. It, ha it has these difficult moments, but God is gonna teach you so much about his love and his grace. He is gonna bless you and your family for showing compassion to children in need. It's worth it. Pharaoh's daughter eventually adopted Moses legally as her own son. God had a big plan for Moses, didn't he? I mean, I don't think even non-Christians usually don't know who Moses is. People know Moses. He's maybe one of the most important people who've ever lived in the history of the world. And so I wanna point out some things about adoption and foster care. Here's the first one. 
Adoption and foster care rescues those in crisis. It rescues those in crisis. Think about Moses, right? Talk about a crisis. When the king wants to murder you, that's a crisis. There he was in this basket in the river, trying to escape with his life. And then here comes this princess who lifts him up out of the water, takes Moses in under her care and protection and makes sure that he's gonna be okay. God had plans for Moses, but these plans would not have come into fruition if it hadn't been for someone with compassion coming along to rescue him. And here's the next thing, adoption and foster care, it brings knowledge of the truth. It brings knowledge of the truth. So as slaves, the Hebrew people were conditioned to think as slaves. They were conditioned to just follow orders and do what they were told. They were not educated. Problem with that is Moses was chosen by God to lead a nation out of captivity. Problem is it's hard to govern without an education. And so what did God do? Man, he facilitated the adoption of Moses and placed him in the palace with the Egyptians who were some of the best mathematicians. They were some of the best organizers, strategizers on the planet. God put Moses right where he needed to be to learn what he needed to know. Being around leaders, Moses learned how to stop thinking like a slave and start thinking like a leader. You see how his mind was open by adoption. He got the best education and learned to think differently by living with royalty. And then here's the next thing. Adoption and foster care unlocks higher purpose. It unlocks higher purpose. Adoption saved Moses from danger and ushered him right into destiny. This princess took him in and made him Royalty, think about that, right? I, I think it's cool because the princess also found her higher purpose through adoption. She got to raise one of the most important people in the history of the world. And then Moses was able to fulfill his purpose. He led the Hebrew people across the Red Sea on dry land to freedom. The Holy Spirit worked through him to write the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty good. Right? That's amazing. It started with adoption. Do you realize that God did the same thing for you he did for Moses? It says in Ephesians chapter one, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. I love this verse. God knew you in advance before you were even born when you were not yet formed in your mother's womb. And he was already aware of all the mistakes you would make, all the times you would sin, all the times you would come up short. And yet in advance, he decided to adopt you as his own child. Why? He wasn't forced into it. He wasn't manipulated into it. It gave him great pleasure to choose you and adopt you as his child. The thing is, God had a great plan for your life, but you could not fulfill your purpose when you were enslaved to sin. So what God did was he lifted you out of bondage to sin and set you free. 
You could not fulfill your purpose when you were deceived by sin. So what did he do? He opened your eyes and imparted the truth into you. He gave you his Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth and transform your mind. He did this because of adoption. He rescued you from slavery. And what did God do? He made you royalty. He made you royalty. He gifted you and he developed you so that you could fulfill a higher purpose. And now look at you. Look at you now. Look where you're at now, right? First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why did God save you? Not so that you could just sit in the pew on Sunday, but that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, as God's chosen people, he wants to use you to proclaim his excellencies to those who need Jesus. He wants you to share what he's done for you. Church, I believe that God is gonna use you to change the destinies of hundreds of children who've also been chosen by God to change the world. Some of them are currently enslaved, essentially, to circumstances caused by the effects of sin. But God's gonna use you to rescue them isn't he? I believe that in the coming years, we're going to celebrate hundreds of children who accept Jesus and are baptized. Why? Because God placed them with a generation church family who didn't just tell them about the love of God, but showed them the love of God. Their eyes are going to be open to see the truth and they're going to learn the gospel that salvation is available through the name of Jesus Christ. Some young girl is going to learn her worth as a daughter of the king. Some little boy is going to learn that his life has a high purpose. God is going to use you to rescue these precious children. I need you to see this. God didn't adopt you as his child so that you could just escape hell. You were chosen for more. You were chosen for more. God adopted you so you could lead others into adoption. He rescued you so you could help save others who are currently lost. There is No higher purpose than helping people who are far from God experience new life in Jesus. And this is one of the ways that we can do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, as we respond to what you're calling us to, I pray that you would stir inside of us, each and every one of us. Stir us up with our calling, God, and let us hear your voice in a clear way. As we talk about adoption and foster care, Lord, I pray that there would be no guilt in this place, that there would be no sense of pressure that comes from man, but that we would sense your calling. God, we know that this is not something that we can be manipulated or pressured into, but we have to be called by you. And I believe that while you're calling some to foster or adopt, you're calling all of us to support this mission. And so, Lord, would you speak to our hearts so loudly and so clearly? God, we want to make a difference in the lives of these vulnerable children, some of them who aren't even born yet, God, but you know their name and you have chosen them. Lord, I thank you that you are doing a new thing in our hearts, and we know that greater things are still to come. And I just want to talk to this church, if you're here tonight, and you'd say, I want to be adopted into God's family. Maybe you're like, I, I, I want to be a part of God's family, but I have sinned and I'm not sure if God will accept me. 
I need you to understand that there is a way to be saved and forgiven and adopted into God's family. It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. We read in the word of God that Jesus, God's son, came into this world and he lived a perfect life in our place to fulfill the requirements of God. And then he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're online right now and you're watching this message and you know in your heart you've been running from God for a while now. Maybe you've been trying to find satisfaction in sex or in substance. Maybe you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe you've been looking for hope in government officials or following your favorite celebrities and you keep coming up empty every time. That's because there is no satisfaction except through Jesus Christ. There is no love greater than the love that comes from God. And if you are ready tonight, you can be forever changed by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you say, that's me, I want that, then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer right now. I'm just going to invite you to pray this with me. Just pray, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus, your son, came into this world and died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again so that I could have eternal life. I accept Jesus as my king. I wanna follow you, God, from this day forward, and I thank you for loving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.